The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. Africa Business Focus is brought to you by SAA, the ones who fly SAA's growing route network now flying to Blantyre, Lilongwe, Big Falls, and Vintook. In the flesh, Rotendo. How nice to see you. It's been, I don't know, years? It has been. It's, I'm finally glad to see you in person again. In in close to the microphone. This is the way this thing works. I know we forgot. <laughs> we forgot. No, no, but people have forgotten mic technique um, because you haven't been in a studio for so long. Uh, you haven't. But Kamala Harris, the U.S. Vice President, yep. is in Africa. She's going to Ghana. She's going to Zambia, um, and also to Tanzania. Yeah, that's very interesting, Bruce. And I think uh, you know those three countries. If you look at it. Um, I mean, let's start off with Ghana in terms of the implications. Obviously, the whole story around her coming to Africa is around fighting the Chinese. And I think Africa has become quite a battleground for the Chinese and the U.S. So maybe we should start having a bit of a rumble in the jungle reloaded version too. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. China versus... Uh, the U.S., but I think specifically looking at Ghana, uh, if you if you know if you look at the stats, 53% inflation at the moment for Ghana, uh, so they had a bit of a conundrum. Uh, secondly, but more importantly, uh, they've applied for about three billion U.S. dollars from the IMF, and obviously the U.S. plays a key role there. So it's quite interesting in terms of the, uh, Kamala Harris coming to Kamala Harris coming to, uh, to to Ghana, but at the same time trying to say, guys, we've got a better deal than than China. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, uh, the same applies with Zambia. One third of its national debt is owed to the Chinese. The yeah. Chinese have been very effective, and we know this yeah. over many years, of sort of saying, you need a port, you need an airport, yeah. you need infrastructure, yeah. let us build it for you. Here yeah. are the terms and conditions, and governments desperate and believing that this yeah. will bring growth into the future, sign deals that they can't afford, and the Chinese think, well, terribly sorry, but we own this asset now because you haven't paid us for it and then start to reap the rewards of, of their investment. Yeah. So it would be quite interesting to see how that, that, that unfolds because obviously the challenge there is that uh, Zambia owes the, uh, the, the Chinese money uh, but at the same time, they need money with regards to you know trying to sort out their debt. So again, uh, I know one of the key areas she's going to focus on in terms of talking to businesses, the economy in, China, in, in Zambia, will be around technology and the fintech industry, which are sort of key uh, differentiators for the U.S. companies in, in Africa. So again, another conundrum saying how is this all going to work out? Uh, President Aikinde, when he talks to to Kamala Harris, but at the same time, when he's dealing with the debt he's got in Zambia, uh, another another quite another conundrum. I call it the African conundrum of sorts. It's so difficult, isn't yeah. it? Because you've got uh, often some fairly inexperienced leaders who inherit a mess from predecessors, yeah. who now have got to try and fix the mess, yeah. and they're getting caught in global diplomacy on yeah. a scale and at a level yeah. that they've not been exposed to before. Yeah. And if, if we look at Tanzania, she's handled it quite well because it's exactly that's the case in point. I remember uh, President John, who the late, uh, who was the president of Tanzania, he was pro mega projects backed by um, by China. Uh, but if you look at it, the new president of of Tanzania, the lady president, she's taken another angle totally. She's uh, encouraged the the establishments with the relationships with the U.S. So quite a different kind of tone with regards to dealing with the past in terms of focusing on the future. So it's, it's quite a it's quite a con- auction of sorts and it'll be interesting to see how this whole trip it's healthy though isn't it i mean again we we've kind of become used to the idea that africa is going to be 
more Chinese than anything yeah. else. They're yeah. the people most interested. The Francophone Africa has got, got French yeah. interest, and uh, we've seen uh, Emmanuel Macron come in and, yeah. and visit some of the Francophone countries, and you go, well, okay, they've got their bit, and yeah. um, sort of the rest of the African continent, which was colonized by the, the Germans and the Belgians yeah. and the British, has kind of been, you know, post-independence, yeah. has kind of been open for investment and opportunity, and the Chinese have gone straight in there. Yeah. The Americans aren't going to let them have a free lunch. No, they're not. And uh, I think, you know, just to take a totally different angle in line with that point is if you look at Egypt, for example, I'm just giving this as a case in point. Egypt, in terms of its, uh, in terms of the, the debt that it owes globally, uh, 5% or the, in terms of investments that it attracts, 5% is Chinese, 0.2% is the U.S., 27% is from the Middle East, which is mainly driven by the Saudi. So that gives you a different angle. So you actually think when these guys sit in the African Union have a cup of coffee and they're kind of sharing problems, the, the, the Egyptians are in a totally different angle because of the dynamics happening there. And absolutely. And again, it comes from history. And it's, yeah. of course, it's got the, the spread of, of Islam throughout North Africa yes. and into Spain a yeah. thousand years ago. And um, Arabic is common parlance yeah. within that part of the world. And of course, there are those very... And the religious connections and the common linguistic connections between those North African countries yeah. and Middle Eastern countries yeah. as well. Ethiopia and Tigray. Yeah. Now, this, of course, was an almighty mess. Ethiopia um, doing ab so well economically and growing so nicely. And then Tigray uh, descended into chaos. 100%. Um, are they beginning to find a way to coexist? I think Abi, President Abiy Ahmed has, has made the right move. He's taken the spokesperson for the for the Tigray Front, uh, which is uh, quite a unique name, Gerachu Reda, uh, who was the leading spokesman, and he's made him the sort of the leader with regards to leading the administration. Um, so I think it's a bit of an olive branch, but ultimately what he's trying to do, he realized there has to be stability. And stability in Ethiopia means stability in the Eastern uh, Bloc, which is a quite a, a strong uh, wreck from an from a economic perspective in Africa and ultimately stability for Africa. So if it does work out as planned, that's a positive thing. Uh, time will tell. Uh, I think the, UNICE, the United States Secretary of State, uh, Blinken, uh, was in, uh, in Ethiopia, which was a positive side, and he did actually highlight in terms of the, the, the level of stability that was there. But obviously, he didn't give that sense of comfort that America is totally backing it. But I think it was positive in terms of you've got the foreign investors, you've got the right people right, saying the right things, and I think it's a matter of time just to see how it all unfolds. And for the ultimate thing for the person on the ground is stability. You know, there's yeah. that African proverb, when the elephants fight, it's the grass that's mm -hmm. And uh, if there's no war, there's stability, uh, economic success will follow soon. I didn't have enough time to explore it with him last night, um, but Peter Brook from the Old Mutual Investment Group um, was born in, and grew up in Zimbabwe. He now lives in Cape Town. He was in Zim fairly recently, and he just dropped an absolute nugget into our conversation on The Money Show last night. We were talking about markets. He said he's recently been up to Zim, yeah. and there is astonishing pockets of brilliance, excellence and wealth creation happening in industry and agriculture and all kinds of sectors in Zim. And a colleague of mine pointed out today saying it's so counterintuitive because yeah. one is so used to the Zim is broken, corrupt, inflation <laughs> narrative. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, it, and we kind of accept it as that. And then suddenly you hear Peter Brook going, actually, I was in Zim and yeah. it was flipping awesome and the people are doing great things. Yeah. Um, it's logical, I suppose, but we need to be reminded of that. 
Yeah, it's always, you know, you can't paint uh, the situations there with the same brush. And obviously there's a lot of things that are happening, a lot of things that have been said. But uh, I think from a, from a macroeconomic perspective, we've still got a lot of work to do. Uh, but there are sort of these glimpses of, of success in the Zim story. Um, some of it come from the commodity story. Some of it come from, from the health sector perspective, education, in terms of great initiatives. And I always say, Bruce, where there's a problem, and I think you've highlighted this before with Adrian Gore, that you know, in the midst of chaos, that's where opportunity sort of lingers. And I think it's the same thing with Zim. Ultimately, you'd want to get to a point where by the steady economic growth and there's a so stable social political environment but at the, at the moment you do get these glimpses of of hope amongst the people and you just hope that with the coming elections hopefully hopefully <laughs> uh, free fair democratic process yeah free fair democratic but ultimately you want a leadership model that stimulates economic growth that gives uh, stability and peace of mind to people on the ground. And that's the big thing. It doesn't matter who's going to be leading the country. That's what our wish is. Uh, sanctions, are they having any effect? I mean, any positive <sighs> effect in terms of uh, regulating government behavior? Dude, my version is the more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't think there's anything... I mean, if you look at where sanctions first started, uh, targeted sanctions probably have a greater effect but when they are sort of macroeconomic sanctions, I don't think they're bringing the, the effect that they intended. Uh, if anything, they're probably putting a ceiling in terms of growth. And if there's a better way of, of, of applying those sanctions, then the better. But I, at the moment, I don't think, uh, from my personal view, I could be wrong. I'm not a genius like you, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> it, it was not an autobiography. I wrote a book called Genius. It's not an autobiography. It's about others. It's about others. No, very true. But I think to answer your question in short is um, I don't think the way they are being applied will bring the success that is there. Probably the way that should be reviewed. But again, time will tell. Time yeah. will tell, Bruce. Dr. Rutendo Hundingwe, who is the Managing Director at Elevate Education, the author of Rumble in the Jungle and more recently Rumble in the Jungle Reloaded. One